you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know... Uh, it's 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 not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, the the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know that crap like that. You know all this stuff that's contaminated America, where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring little league anymore. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? All I want to do is fucking eat! I want you to eat! I want you to eat! I want you to want this shit! Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me! Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? Hey, doing good, Shane. We got a crazy packed show here. But this is, I think this is the first time we've had two guests on the show. But that's how we roll, Shane, because we got uh, Beer Barrel Spring Breakdown. <laughs> that's right, man, I'm telling you. And what was cool about this game last year, I still got some bourbon out there. <laughs> this is a, this is a rivalry that we like to talk about, and uh, I thought it's perfect that we have a doubleheader today, Mike. Well, absolutely. So we're going to get to our Kentucky breakdown with Nick Roush of Kentucky Sports Radio. And, of course, we've got Tennessee. He told me not to call him a legend, so I can't call him that. Radio host Tony Basilio going to preview Tennessee 2020 season but before we do that Shane uh, we got a couple teams to hit on quickly around the league you ready to do it let's do it buddy now let's go around the league my my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald so uh, so I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. Right, we'll play anybody you can get to play us. And Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys. Hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, Shane, so I want to apologize to our Missouri listeners here a bit. I missed this clip. This came from over the weekend, but I felt like it was still fresh enough to use because we really haven't talked enough Missouri here lately, and that uh, was not intended. Just like I said, just didn't see these clips until here recently, but... The Tigers are underway there in Columbia, their first spring camp under Coach Eli Drinkwitz. And how about it, Shane? I mean, everyone's fired up for Sean Robinson. It's his time now that Kelly Bryant's gone. The 
former TCU graduate transfer quarterback. Sounds like nothing's going to be given to him. Coach Drinkowitz talks about that on the goals of his first spring. And then this, I mean, I liked everything he had to say up until this last thing, Shane. (laughs) Newcomers on the team, not even given a jersey number. Let's kick it over to Coach, and then we'll discuss it on the back end. Coach, is is Sean Robinson the the number one quarterback for you guys right now? No, there's no number one quarterbacks. There's no number ones on anything. It's a new team. It's a new coaching staff. Um, I told our guys there's no starting positions out of spring. I don't care how good you play in the spring. In August, we'll determine who plays um, that first play. And, uh, you know, our number one core values always compete. The only thing better than a little competition is a lot of competition. Um, And so anybody can be the starting quarterback. And there's no one right now for sure. Coach, biggest things you want to accomplish throughout this next month at Spring Block? Yeah, we got three goals. Number one is individual development. We want to improve in our fundamentals and technique. That's number one. Number two, we want to lay the foundation of our offense, defense, and special teams. And number three, we want to identify our strengths and eliminate our weaknesses, um, whether that be personnel or schematics. And so that's really our three focuses. And that's what we're focused on as a, a team, individual, and as a coaching staff. Was there anything behind the freshman or new guys just not having numbers yet? Was that, or has that kind of got earned on the back of your shirt? Nothing's given. Everything's earned. They haven't earned a number yet. They'll get to earn a number when their position coach and position group determines that they've done enough, whether it's through effort and pride or making plays, that they deserve a number. But they don't have a number yet. No new, new num- Nobody new has earned that right yet. I swear to God, if I see pictures of them in sweats, Mike, I'm out. <laughs> well, Shane, I'm glad you went there because that's, I mean, that's right where I was went when I heard this. It seemed like Chad Morris, Butch Jones-esque, you know, you got to remove your black stripe. Now, I get it. I mean, all these coaches have motivational things, so it's maybe it's, maybe I'm just a little overreacting here, but... I don't know, having to make these kids earn their number, I don't know, it just seems kind of foolish to me. Not a big fan of that, just because you've got a lot more freshmen going to be coming in year after year. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to create an obstacle, but I see what he's doing. I mean, everybody's got to have their thing, and it's just, you know, he probably is not familiar with Coach Morris in Arkansas, and, you know, Maybe a lot of kids that are going to Missouri won't be either. But, yeah, just just not the strongest idea, in my opinion. But, you know, I see you see stuff like this at different universities. Or, like you said, earn your stripe and, mm-hmm. you know, little things like that. So uh, I hope they don't hold out too long. But I, I am interested to see what a couple of these guys are going to be wearing next year. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we credited Dan Mullen for taking a similar approach last episode. So we got to credit – Coach Drinkwitz here for doing the same, nothing being given, everything's got to be earned. Mm-hmm. I particularly like that, given the fact that obviously it's a new system on offense. And, and I do like this, Mike. I, I'll be honest with you, especially when it's a new coach, mm-hmm. th- this mentality like, okay, man, we've got some familiar faces we're going to see next year, but they may not be in the same role. So I, I think it. I think he needs to have that this spring, more like an audition, you know? Like, what do you want to play? How much do you want to play? Show mm-hmm. it, you know? Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of players on this roster that he did not recruit himself to Columbia. You want to give all those guys a fresh slate. And maybe they were, you know, underutilized by the Barry Odom program. And now those guys, if they stick around, 
they're going to be given that opportunity to play and it could just work out better for everybody. You know what? Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So, oh, and one last thing on uh, coach here for anyone that missed it. If you want to head over to, uh, we tweet it, we'll tweet it out also on the, that sec podcast, Twitter, but uh, Missouri football tweeted out, you know, mic'd up version of coach Drinkowitz at practice and, Dude seemed like a complete 180 from Barry Odom on the practice field. He was very high energy, getting in guys' face. And I'm not a big believer in thinking that's going to work year in and year out. But when you come in year one, they're trying to get to know you. You're trying to get to know them. I think this could be a really good method uh, to get these guys fired up and jacked up for first spring camp here in Columbia under Coach Drinkwitz. That's it, man. I mean, Coach D, he's he's auditioning too, man. He's got to he's got to earn that locker room. So. Uh, I like it, man. I, I like that fiery passion and him coming in. So that looks good. I, it's a good look for Missouri. All right, Shane. So let's kick it down to Nashville. Take it down. Where Coach Mason uh, talked briefly here after Vanderbilt's most recent spring practice. And, you know, we've hit on it, the fact that the Commodores have lost four quarterbacks this offseason. I can't recall, you know, anything like this outside of a head coaching change where you got four quarterbacks gone, four coming in. But they really only got one guy mm-hmm. early in spring practice, and that's Ken Seals, the true freshman. from I believe he's from Texas. He's the one getting the vast majority of the snaps because junior college signee Jeremiah Musa is a little bit banged up, and the other two quarterbacks they signed have not yet gotten to practice. But at least if you only got one quarterback, you know, <laughs> obviously that's an issue, but uh, – Judging by what Coach Mason had to say here, it looks like Ken Seals is at least pressing. That's kind of what you want, man. You want you want somebody to emerge here in the spring so you can feel a little bit better about the quarterback. If there's no separation between four quarterbacks, how many times have we seen this in the past? It usually ends up a mess when fall comes around, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's kick it over to Coach Mason talking about Ken Seals, Jeremiah Musa, and then also a little nugget here on uh, the junior college former Kentucky quarterback Danny Clark that they signed this offseason. How happy are you with Ken Seals to make the throws he needs to make and to make them with the touch and to make the reads he needs to make in your offense? Oh, man, Ken, Ken Seals is doing a great job. I think, you know, for him, uh, he continues to get better. Obviously, I mean, he's getting a ton of work, yeah. and I think that's important. Uh, Danny Clark is here uh, today. You know, like Danny, Danny's going to be here all week, and I think that's important as well. You know, he comes in, and he's trying to look at, you know, where guys are, what are we doing offensively, um, and he's taking his spring break to spend time figuring out, you know, man, how it all stacks up. But as I watch Ken, I think Ken's done a phenomenal job. Jeremy Musa, uh, man, man, is actually moving around better than I thought he would. Um, you know, man, he's starting to make incremental progress, and, you know, man, that's important to us. I mean, both of these guys have extreme arm talent. You know, what we're looking at is, you know, proficiency in the offense, and so, like I said, Kent's getting most of the reps when it comes to team, but both of these guys are making you know really good progress in terms of moving moving the offense forward. I'm kind of pulling for Musa. That just seems like a quarterback name, you know? Musa. <laughs> exactly. All right, Shane. So Ken Seals, like I said, obviously not ideal to have one quarterback, but at least if you're going to have one, hopefully he sh- he shows up like this true freshman has so far and. I, you know, the biggest takeaway for me there, something I did not realize, Danny Clark, the junior college signee, spending his spring break there in Nashville to get acclimated to the offense and his teammates. And Danny Clark is my pick to be the starting quarterback. I know it's early. He's not even there yet, but, you know, he's got that experience at Kentucky. I think he's going to be the guy, but 
All indications are thus far, Ken Seals, I know he's basically the only one in the running right now, but at least he's taking it and run with it. And if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, I got to feel at least confident that he's doing that. Yeah, I'm still going Moose until I see the actual spring game. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> off name alone. So I, I'm with you, though. I, I think they're going to go with experience here. and But I, I don't know. Again, I like the open competition. I mean, it, it, you talk about uh, a, a whole new offense next year. Well, you're going to have it with Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. Well, sticking on that quarterback theme, Shane, let's jump on down to Baton Rouge. It's my honor to present the national championship trophy to Coach Ed Ogeron and the LSU Tigers. Where Coach O announced that uh, quarterback Peter Parrish has been suspended from the team for a violation of team rules. Mm. And this was a 2019 signee of LSU, and Coach O says he's not even been with the team here lately. So, I don't know, it's not looking good that he's going to be on the team next year. And you know what that means, Shane? The tank is second string, baby. (laughs) (laughs) TJ Finley, the true freshman... According to Coach O, bumped up to second team reps, and of course the you know they're putting their faith right now in Miles Brennan. But when you mm. think that Max Johnson, T.J. Finley, two freshmen are basically the backup at this point, I mean, my goodness, Shane, they're kind of they're walking a tightrope right now in Baton Rouge with this quarterback dip short. Yeah, but that's I mean, this is kind of what you want. I mean, in a perfect world, you want. You know, you're some some seniority there at quarterback, some somebody you can bank on. Why these young kids, you know, can learn and grow. You don't want to throw them in the fire, but I don't know, man. You you know how I got. You know how I am with hot videos, Mike. I saw TJ out there. And I'm ready. I'm ready to give him the number seven and let him go. You know. <laughs> well, speaking of Coach O, let's kick it over to him, Shane, talking about Miles Brennan. Apparently he's looking good so far in spring. This is what you want to hear if you're a Tiger fan. Coach O also talked about the new coaches on staff and how well they're adjusting to the program and how you know his veteran team is really adjusting to these coaches. That's what you want to hear. And uh, last comment on this clip, the freshman B.J. Ojolari, Coach O says this kid's got all-American potential in his future. Georgia. Let's kick it over to Coach O. Yeah, you know, Miles is getting all first team snaps, and then TJ and Max are uh, sharing the second team reps. They share all the second team reps. Miles gets on the first. What was he better today, Miles? What's got better in the You know, I, I think that uh, today uh, there was more completions. Uh, I think Saturday was the first day. It was more drops than it was on the receivers. I think his ball was on the money. Uh, I think he adjusted his long ball today. Uh, I, I bet you he was at least 12 or 14 today. And uh, really impressive. Really impressive the way he's running the uh, offense, the way he's changing the protections. He's he's vocal. Looks pretty good. Yeah, the first day was a little shaky. You know, the freshmen. Uh, they're trying. They've been excellent. They're two hard workers. Great young man. I, I tell you, they, they threw the long ball very well. Uh, Max had some good throws. TJ had some good throws. I think they both made some improvement today. They're very hard workers. They're going to have to continue to improve throughout the spring. I think they will. How's the team kind of uh, merged in with your new coaching staff and a couple of new guys? Excellent. Yeah. I'm so impressed with these guys. They're professionals. I mean, these guys have been around the block. They, nothing, they don't blink. I mean, those guys, these guys work well together. Uh, Sunday was a uh, Sunday morning. Our offensive staff met at 9 o'clock till 12 o'clock. Our defense was in here all day. The guys are tireless workers. They're totally into it. Uh, they want to carry the LSU standard performance, and they're proud of 
be here, so I probably have. I think all of us done well. Team feels like they're merging in well with him as well. I mean, you obviously work with the players. With the players? Yeah, the players, yeah, the players love them. I mean, the players, are, you know, Scott Linehan is, uh, is an old pro. He's very knowledgeable. The guys like him because of the guys he's coached. So he's brought in some, some film on Megatron and that, that stuff. And those guys are going to watch that. And obviously, Bull's uh, demeanor, his temper, he's a lot like I am. He's going to get after him, but he's, he's going to love him. And I think I, more or less I sit in the defensive meeting, I see him capturing his group more and more. You mentioned B.J. Ogilari's guys who thinks can be an All-American at some point. Why, why, what stuck out Just so him? athletic. They're really just so athletic. Today on pass rush, he had two wins against the first team. He came up and under. He's very strong. Uh, he's very mature. A great student, making straight A's. Hard worker. He just has all the... All the makers of being a great end. I just, I just see he's perfect for the four three. All right, Shane. So that I mean, and I couldn't tell if it was Coach O or, or cousin Shane here talking about Miles Brennan the way he was pumped. I mean, Coach O <laughs> thinks he's got himself another Heisman winner here. It sounds like absolutely, you know, and that's what Coach O did. You know, going into uh, into media days last year, you know, he really buys into his team, and I think that's why his players do so well. It's because they got a coach that really believes in them. So. Um, now this is this is what I wanted to hear. I mean, you know, I I'm I've been tooting LSU's horn for a long time that I don't think they're going to have near the drop off people are expecting. I, I still think that they're a contender for a national champ, man. Mm-hmm. Last thing on Coach O before we get to Kentucky, Shay. This was just hilarious. Uh, so it was ESPN Baton Rouge show off the bench. They broke the news that former LSU defensive lineman Benny Logan landed a coaching position as an analyst on LSU staff. Coach O was asked about it, and, man, this is just classic Ogeron, his response here. There's been reports of analyst additions for, for you guys. Oh, yeah, season. how about that? Uh, uh, sorry. Benny Logan, I think? Yes, major, major hire for the LSU Tigers. One of the all-time greats coming back. You know, Benny, you know, I lead on Benny on technique. I mean, uh, you know, he – he, he knows it well. He knows all Pete's stuff. And, uh, man, we're in the meetings, me and him talking about it. It's like having a full-time coach with us. And, you know, he can be a good mentor to these young men. And uh, that's what he came back for. I talked to him. I said, you know what, because he's such a great character young guy, one of 18, he has so much to give. And uh, he just wants to give back. Hey, how about that there, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's just fired up just to be asked about Benny Logan there, isn't he? Jeez, Louis, he's more he's more pumped up about Benny up there than he is about his defensive coordinator. I love it, man. Uh, but that, again, this just goes to show, Coach, he's all about the players, man. You know, he's all about them giving them opportunities, and, and he wants everybody to succeed while they're down there, you know. So I love that, man. Create that family atmosphere. Absolutely, and of course, Coach O's a former defensive line coach. I mean, he coaches the defensive line there with LSU. So when he mm-hmm. hires a young defensive line coach to join his program you know that guy's got a potentially a huge future in college coaching in my opinion dude coach it i'll tell you what man coach is pretty pumped up about this four three have you noticed that yeah and i you know that kind of goes back a little bit to if you missed it on our last podcast we had jacques Doucet of wafb on the show breaking down the tigers but you know he kind of hinted at that and i forgot to mention it at the time but you know, there was Dave Aranda tried to get uh, the UNLV head coaching job. Mm-hmm. I th- think he was involved in the Hawaii head coaching job. 
And there was a report, a credible report, that he was prepared to take the USC defensive coordinator position, leave LSU for USC. So, I mean, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Dave Aranda because obviously LSU's defense, you know, was very strong in the college football playoff, helped them win it all. But, you know, that was that's not been a strength of that team, particularly at the beginning of the season. And it just seemed like, I don't want to say wore out is welcome, but maybe – you know, maybe it was just time for Dave Aranda to go, and I think Coach O was probably a little frustrated with how the defense played for the most part last season. Right. I mean, you've you've heard that a couple of times here this offseason. Uh, Coach O, no, I mean, he didn't come out and bash, you know, Dave or anything like that, but he just, you know, and it's kind of that vibe at times he wished they could have done something different, and it just felt to me like there was – something going on behind the scenes there and probably didn't get exposed because hell they went undefeated and won a national championship. But if that defense would have cost them a game at some point along the way, I guarantee there would have been a lot more. I mean, I, this may have been a fire, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it, he could have been out regardless. All right, Shane. So we've held off long enough. Let's kick it down to Lexington. We got quite a bit of Kentucky news here. We've uh, held off on this one just to line up a guess. And of course, we're going to get to our interview here with uh, Nick Roush of Kentucky Sports Radio in just a moment. But uh, really interesting news here at Kentucky because wide receiver coach Michael Smith resigned in the middle of spring football. You don't see that very often, but it's because Kentucky had already landed their next coach. It was really weird. The, they've landed Oregon receiver coach Javon Bonat. I hope I'm saying that right. Probably not, but uh, I didn't know much about this guy, Shane, but 2005 Bolitnikoff Award semifinalist, which goes to the nation's top receiver. So he was a hell of a receiver there. He played at Wyoming. He's got 10 years' experience at Utah State and the one year at Oregon. So uh, just an interesting little turn of events here that you're replacing a coach in the middle of spring football. But uh, just what I know about Michael Smith, I think this is going to turn out to be a, a good hire for Kentucky. The only thing that I kind of question, and it's not that big of a deal really, but as far as I know, he, this this coach does not have a lot of recruiting ties to the Southeast, so maybe that's that's a little bit of a question mark there for Kentucky. But outside of that, this guy seems to have a strong resume in the coaching world and obviously an outstanding college receiver. So I think I overall I like this hire by Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm like you. I don't know much about this. I just found out about it today. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna find out. I mean, he's got some talent to work with. So um, hopefully, he doesn't doesn't mess that up. You know, mm-hmm. just keep keep moving forward. You know, that's the big thing with Kentucky. Just it seems like they they constantly stair step, and of course, they took a little bit of a step back last year. But that was more to do with injuries than anything. I think. You know, but I still think that they're on a good path, a good trajectory, and just keep things moving. Keep them moving forward, and, and Kentucky will be all right. All right, Shane, so let's kick it over to Mark Stoops, who met with the media here recently talking about Kentucky's depth at quarterback this spring and how just different this is from the fall on uh, this year, once again being different for the defense. They're much deeper and experienced across the board and it was so strange to go from 2018, Kentucky had, you know, one of the best defenses in the nation. And then last year, with uh, after losing so many guys and a completely rebuilt secondary, that you know there was a really big drop off there. I thought, uh, particularly, you saw that kind of in the bowl game there. But 
They pieced it together pretty well. And then on Kelvin Joseph, once again, this is a guy I keep hitting on, former LSU Tiger. He was a true freshman, played for the Tigers. Now he's going to start for Kentucky, likely at corner. Uh, Mark Stoops talks about Kelvin Joseph as well. How's Joey kind of adapted to this so far, just first you know, week out there? You know, I'm really pleased. It's it's nice, you know, going through last year being so right. thin at quarterback. And, uh, you know, this year through three practices, that's part of the benefit of going with two spot is getting those guys quality reps. And we have a lot of good, talented guys um, at the QB position, so it's good to get them some, some work. And they've all shown some flashes and done some really good things. Really pleased with Joey and really pleased with Bo. Thursday, uh, Brad said, I guess specifically on the defensive side, that compared to this very point last year after two practices, the team is just completely different than what it was from a year ago. Would you assess that with the overall team as well? I agree with that. I mean, you know, again, it's been well documented last year with the inexperience on the defense side of the ball. We just had so many newcomers and guys that were unproven. And um, now it's nice to come back and have a lot of snaps under our belt last year and some guys that really did some good things and we've added some some depth and some quality players. So um, I think, uh, you know, top to bottom, uh, it's much better. Um, certainly I feel good with the depth and the physical part of our defense. Um, and uh, we're, we're adding some depth to the secondary, which is nice. He said something along the lines of it. He doesn't think anybody else in the country can play all those as well as him. Do you, is there a certain amount of that swagger that you like in a DB that have that kind of confidence? Definitely. Um, and, you know, that's yet to be seen for me as far as it being able to do all those positions and do them all accurately. Ability-wise, I agree with that. You know, I think he's versatile in his physical abilities. Um, to, you know, and I think he is very versatile. And I love defensive backs like that, that can play nickel, dime, safety, or corner. And I think um, he's definitely unique that way. But as far as running our scheme and, and executing everything to this point, he's not ready to do that. Um, so I think physically he can, but mentally not, not ready. Um, you know, so, so we'll see how that goes. All right, Shane, so I think the key takeaway here for me, outside of these, these comments here for Kelvin Joseph, is just the fact that Stoops just seems so damn happy with his depth at quarterback, <laughs> and why wouldn't he be, and across his defense. And we'll get to this these comments from Nick Roush here in a minute, but you know, based on the buzz out of Lexington, it just seems like everyone is circling this defense as you know potentially a unit that could be one of the most improved in the SEC next year. That's that's the vibe I'm picking up on, Mike. You know, and and this is what you want. You want to lock down cornerback, you know. And and you you think about the NFL, and I know we're we're putting the cart way in front of the horse here, but you think about the all time greats on the next level. You got to have a cocky cornerback. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know when you think of Revis Island and 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 Jalen Ramsey and plays players like that. You know that are just. They're just tough to go against, and that's what you want. You got to have a player that knows he's the best guy in the room because he's going to take those those chances, and, and people are going to be afraid to throw his side. So um, I, I like that too. I like how Mark real quick put him. You know, like, hey, whoa, whoa, he's he's got the he's got you know he's got he's definitely got all the tools, but we need to sharpen them before we just let him loose at every position back there. Absolutely. All right. So 
We've teased it enough. This is a fantastic interview from Nick Roush, really entertaining guy, Kentucky Sports Radio. And I really highly recommend all our Kentucky fans listen to the 11 Personnel Pod. I guarantee you're going to like that one. Uh, let's kick it over to Nick Roush. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by Nick Roush of Kentucky Sports Radio. He covers Kentucky football, Kentucky basketball. He's on the radio. And, of course, he's the host of the 11 Personnel Podcast. I just listened to the latest one there, Breaking Down Spring Football, some really outstanding stuff, and uh, you come highly recommended, Nick. So, once again, I really appreciate you hopping on here. Well, I appreciate you having me. The, the feeling's mutual. Um, it's it's an exciting time of the year where you get a little bit of the football-basketball crossover. It's kind of like November, um, except uh, this time the shoe's on the other foot. Instead of you know getting like a little tease with like Champions Classic and like Feast Week, in the middle of football season, it's basketball kind of teasing us, uh, or football teasing us in the middle of the busiest time of the year for basketball. So I absolutely love it, um, and I'm happy to, hear, to talk about it all with you. Well, absolutely. Well, before we get into, you know, spring camp is already underway there in Lexington, I did want to ask you this, because I'm a Tennessee graduate, and I tweet a lot about SEC football, Tennessee football, but I, you know, I tweet about the entire conference. And I'm just wondering if you get this. I would imagine you probably don't. But because I have so many Tennessee followers, anytime I say something good about Kentucky, I just get berated by damn Vol Twitter. And I'm just I'm wondering if you felt their wrath as well. Oh, of course, of course. And that's because uh, over time, Tennessee has slowly developed into public enemy number one for me. Growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, it was always – that was always the biggest rivalry, but for a certain segment of our fan base, especially in Southeast Kentucky, where a lot of those kind of small towns in Appalachia, they get the Knoxville news channels. Mm -hmm. That's always the biggest rivalry. And as I've grown older, I've, you know, I know my common enemy in Louisville better. My wife is a Louisville grad and a Louisville fan. So I've softened some of the cards and in turn have hardened my heart towards the Vols. Um, (laughs) And a lot of that is because for even as successful as Stoops has been as of late, there's still, even in Tennessee's down years, Kentucky has not played them well. That loss in 2018 was just absolutely brutal. That was the first time I'd ever visited a Neyland Stadium. And to have maybe the worst Tennessee team in 20 years beat Kentucky's best team in 40 years, it just it was sickening. Between that game, there was a game back in 2007 – when uh, Kentucky had Andre Woodson and Lona Seaburn, they're playing Eric Ainge, and it's the final game of the year, and they go to four overtimes. In the third overtime, Kentucky can kick a chip shot field goal to win. I was in the end zone. I was ready to rush the field. It gets blocked, and that, that started hardening my heart. And in the last two years with uh, that loss in 2018, and then uh, the, Rick Barnes making him good in basketball, watching – Grant Williams from John Fulkerson. That Ful- something about Folky. I just it's the hair, it's the nickname, it's all of the above. But you, it just it really strikes the chord. And sometimes in this business too, we get you know it, it gets. I don't know if jaded is the right word, Mike, but like you get um, the emotion gets taken out of it. And thanks to Tennessee, the hatred is still in my heart. And for that, I appreciate the balls and especially their their Twitter fans for. Uh, you know, just wipe me up every once in a while. Absolutely. Well, it's all in good fun, but if you ask me, that just says more about how Kentucky's 
in particular the football team, has basically risen to the level of Tennessee while Tennessee's kind of dipped down. And I think that's just that kind of, you know, the, the fan base thinking they're better when, I mean, you can't really tell the programs much apart these days. No, in, 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 except for in the head-to-head matches. Um, everywhere else, it's been about even, especially over the last uh, four years since Eddie Graham became Kentucky's offensive coordinator. Uh, Kentucky has a better record. They've won uh, better bowl games. I mean, you, you kind of look at the list. They check all the boxes except in the head-to-head matchups. And I, I think if you were looking forward, you probably have more confidence in Kentucky's program just because of uh, what they have coming back. Um, now, I would say that Phil Fulmer, he went and hired an army of talented assistants. Uh, Derek Ainsley, who was formerly at UK, mm-hmm. um, is there along with, uh, is it Cheney from Georgia, an offensive coordinator? Yep. And, and yeah, they hired uh, so, Jimmy Brumbaugh, the former, I think he worked at Kentucky as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're woven up. So I think uh, while... You know Tennessee, they're they're doing okay, but I, I'd like to just be able to get a couple uh, more wins under the belt, make me feel a little bit happier about where Kentucky is on that SEC ladder. Because right now they are flirting in that kind of next man up uh, stage, and I think for 2020, a lot of fans believe that that, that this is the year that they really can uh, take a legit challenge to be the next man up right there with Georgia at the top, whereas the last few years it's been kind of a rotating cast of characters between Kentucky, uh, Florida, and Tennessee, slash South Carolina, somebody else. So uh, this year is the big year that they've been building to to uh, take a big step and, and try to get, uh, get Georgia and get to Atlanta to play in the SEC championship game. Well, speaking of 2020, i got to ask you this. I was very surprised, once again, Everyone should go out and listen to the 11 Personnel Podcast. I highly recommend it for just incredible in-depth analysis on Kentucky football program. But on the latest program that I heard, it took you guys about 40 minutes before you hit on the quarterbacks. And is that because you guys are just that confident that Terry Wilson coming off injury is going to be the starter? Because I'm, I'm a guy that's been building up Joey Gatewood. I know I watched him in high school. He's an outstanding player. And now, you know, obviously he's not even immediately eligible at this time, but I'm taking a risk saying I think he will be. I know he's, he's applied for the waiver and the NCAA is looking at that rule. Uh, mm-hmm. Why is it that uh, you guys are, I mean, are you just locked in on Terry Wilson, do you think, being the starter? Yeah, and that's part of it. I think it's one of those things, too, where uh, if you've cut, you know, you've, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of quarterback competitions. Uh, throughout your time covering SEC football. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things where right now we're at the kind of uh, fun stage where, you know, you can just kind of hype up everybody and there's not really anything in particular. But you better believe in that spring game that Kentucky fans are going to overanalyze every single pass that is thrown. Um, But I I think the having the – transfer rule if it does in fact get passed will be huge for Kentucky because simply for the fact that we don't know what Terry Wilson is going to do and I and I think it's more of a fear of we don't want to think about what happened if Terry Wilson isn't well because well you know last year they were able to get by with Lynn Bowden and that was fun it was a memorable run that Kentucky fans won't soon forget 
But there's a certain extent of like, I think in the back of every UK fan's head, there's this, what if his knee isn't the same? What if he's not the same player that he once was? Because Kentucky really is all in on Terry Wilson right now. Uh, in their Super Bowl commercial, they run a, a local ad every year that's kind of their preseason hype video. Terry is the focal point at the end where, you know, we're ready for the big shots. There's a lot of people, there's a lot of talk of Atlanta. They're really pumping up expectations, and a lot of it runs through Terry Wilson because they really liked what he was doing before he got hurt last year. So I think that's there is a lot of confidence in Terry with a caveat that you don't know how he's going to come back from that knee injury. And as of right now, he's not uh, 100% in spring practice. He's able to throw. Uh, you know, do kind of, uh, you know, routes on air, one-on-one. Um, but he's not doing seven-on-sevens as of yet. Kentucky's actually taking a break for spring break next week. And there's some optimism that he'll be able to maybe do some seven-on-seven to kind of finish out the spring before getting back into team drills this fall. So I, I think the general optimism, um, you know, right now we don't want to think about the what if Joey Gatewood isn't eligible, what if Terry's knee isn't there, because on – the other hand, if Terry's back and he's good to go and you have Joey Gatewood there that you can use as a weapon, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in some wildcat packages and stuff like that, the, the sky is really the limit for this UK offense. Now, you kind of hit on it there, Lim Bowden. I mean, he obviously he's gone. There's no way I don't think anyone can single-handedly replace him. I mean, my God, the guy should have been a Heisman finalist for what he did for that team last year. So how does Kentucky go about replacing uh, arguably the best player in well, I don't know if you could even say the best player in recent history because they've had so many good ones, but just an all-timer in Lim Bowden. Oh, yeah. He, he, like you said, there's nothing that one player can do what he did. I mean, it, it really is one of those things like uh, you tell your grandkids the story about 40 years from now, and they're like, Grandpa, stop lying to us. That didn't really happen. Like That's how ridiculously unbelievable the Lim Bowden story is. The good news is that the the last chapter, the final chapter of that story, ends with him throwing a touchdown to a guy named Josh Ali. It was a great play, and it was a gutsy call. He kind of audibled it at the line, told Ali to run a post instead of double fades. The quarterbacks bailed out. Ali was there to to basically catch a punt. Um, But the biggest play of that drive was a catch that Ali had on fourth and short. Uh, or not, excuse me, not fourth and short. It was like fourth and eight, but he caught it just a couple inches short of touching the ground where he's going the opposite way of the way that Bowden's rolling. Makes an incredible catch. That kind of momentum, that last drive that he had there, didn't get a lot of touches last year, but he, Josh Alvin is going to be the guy that's Kentucky's best receiver next year. He's their best route runner. Um, he's, he's been very methodical in his development, and unfortunately we just didn't get to see him completely unleashed last year. He is going to be the uh, the kind of go-to guy with the most catches this year. Uh, obviously, you know I don't I don't think you're going to want to compare him to Lynn Bowden, but they're going to use him in the same sense that he's going to be their versatile playmaker. And they also have another guy by the name of Alan Daly that's really versatile. He's a big guy from Pennsylvania, Alabama. He was actually a wide receiver for Bo Nix in high school. Um, they played on the same state championship winning football team. He was their leading receiver. He's a big body who got some early catches in his career playing inside and now moving outside. So those are going to be the primary weapons on the edge. But a lot of it, it to be completely honest with you, Mike, it's, it comes down to prove it. Um, 
wide receiver is the one position where you haven't had a ton of consistency since Marshall has been in Kentucky. So uh, for a lot of fans, it's just, all right, show me what you got, and we'll be ready once, once it actually happens. I wanted to ask you about this trio of running backs they got at Kentucky. You got Rose, Cavassier Smoke, Chris Rodriguez, maybe the best trio in the SEC. Is this the most talented and deepest backfield that uh, Stoops has had there at Kentucky? I, I think it's certainly deepest because, heck, even the the newcomers, uh, Jatan McClain, who just got to Kansas, he was getting rave reviews from Eddie Grant, and Travis Tisdale, who came from Lowndes High School in Georgia, a big powerhouse down there. Um, a year ago, redshirted. So it's certainly the deepest. And I think what Graham wants to happen this spring is for one of them to become the guy. But even if that, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be a lot of rotating this year. There certainly won't be as many carries because you can't have more carries than you did when you, you know, you weren't throwing the football at all mm-hmm. <laughs> a year ago. But I, the biggest thing they need to find out in this group is the short yardage guy. I think that's going to be Chris Rodriguez. He showed a lot of wiggle there at the end of the year with some explosive plays, but that was where Kentucky, that was where they really struggled last year was in third ones. They eventually got it rolling with the Wildcat, but uh, to bring up Tennessee again, that cost them the game. Uh, they weren't able to get two yards, and they could have made a lot of situations easier if they just kept drives alive a little bit longer. They've got to find a short yardage back. I think that's going to be Rodriguez, and I hope that's who they ultimately stick to in that rotation. One guy LSU fans know all about, Kelvin Joseph, coming on the scene now at Kentucky. I've never, I don't think I can recall a time where a head coach opening spring press conferences, yeah, this guy, he's our day one starter. I mean, I guess he's just been that impressive in the year off he had. How much does he elevate that Kentucky secondary? Yeah, he – is incredibly physical, and I think that's the first takeaway that everybody said about him. Along with that, he's incredibly confident. Uh, <laughs> uh, he, in my first conversation with me, he said that he was the best cornerback or the best defensive back in all his college football. Now Stoops was, you know, he happily pumped those brakes. But um, yeah, I think the fact that of the athleticism that he brings, he still is not there mentally to play every single position, like, um, you know, he said rather confidently. But um, I, I, that defensive, I, I think the reason why fans are so bullish on this team, Kentucky had the fourth-ranked pass defense in the country. They bring everybody back, and uh, except, except for Jordan Griffin, who is, you know, he's a stalemate. He, he did some great things throughout his career, really studied the shit, but he would have lost a lot of snaps to Devontae Robinson, who – um, he was a guy that Notre Dame really tried to steal from Kentucky late in their recruiting process. A local kid, a track star, incredible athlete who is kind of – he was waiting his turn, and last year was going to be his year. He tore his quad right before the season. He's going to be back along with Joseph, who – so you're getting the fourth-ranked pass defense in the country back with all of those guys, and then you're adding even better athletes to the mix – if they can find the right combination and get these guys gelling, Kentucky, uh, the, you don't really, you look at a defense, you don't see holes in it. It's going to be really hard to score on that team this fall. Well, let me ask you about this guy. This is uh, someone that I've been waiting to make his impact up there, and we've just not yet seen it. Xavier Peters, former, I believe, Florida State linebacker, high school All-American, 
and Stoops kind of he, he didn't call him out directly, but he kind of did in his opening spring press conference. <laughs> What's the deal there with Xavier Peters? He's a uh... For the lack of a better term, he's just been in the turn in the post ball. Um, I, and I, I haven't heard of specific stories of what's been the exact problem, but Stoops is one of those guys that he will take one on the chin for his players if they're meeting his expectations. And frankly, Peters has it. Um, there's some certain things that, uh, you know, whether it's showing up to tutors on time or, or being in a meeting on time. That just hasn't it hasn't met Stoops' expectations, and he he let that line go for a while last season. After Peters finally got eligible, he was cleared with that waiver. We were expecting him to at least play sparingly. And a week goes by, and another week, and another week, and it's like, all right, what what's the deal with Xavier Peters? And finally, Stoops was just like, well, if you're not doing what we're asking of you, then you're not going to play. And that's when you know that things are bad. So I think this is Stoops' – he threw that out there one more time, and I think his message to Xavier Peters, hey, get with it or get lost. We've got some really talented guys. They've got uh, an edge from Louisville by the name of J.J. Weaver, who if they needed him last year, he wouldn't have played more than his four redshirt games. He's really talented. There's some guys there that they have confidence in. So Stoops' message to Peters is, listen – We'd love to have you if you're willing to go there. But, but, you know, we've got a ton of guys right now, and we're confident in their abilities. So get with it, buddy, or or get lost. Now, Kentucky under Mark Stoops has really have a strong reputation as a developmental program. And I I know some people take that as disrespect, but I take it more as a compliment because he's taken these three-star guys, and then by the end of their career, they're all SEC, all-American NFL players. Is there a player or two that comes to your mind that the, maybe the casual SEC fan doesn't know now, but by the end of the season, they're going to know all about on Kentucky's roster? Uh, there's one guy, and I, I hope that the production on the box score will replicate um, what his impact is on the field. The only problem is that, that it, the innate nature of the position limits that, and that's Kentucky's nose guard, Quentin Bohanna. Bohanna is. 395 pounds and he does not move like a 395 pounder and i think there was a thought uh going into last year that he could potentially leave following his junior season and go to the nfl draft but the production really wasn't there and he's kind of had you know some health issues here and there where you know you weigh 300 pounds or whatever it is and i'm I'm sure i was exaggerating some of 395 pounds (laughs) but when you're when you're a big guy and you sprain your ankle, it's going to take longer for that ankle to heal. And he was dealing with kind of nagging stuff like that. Uh, Morgan Stenberg said he, at the NFL Combine, without even hesitation, he's the best guy people aren't talking about. I agree with that. And I also think Chris Oates this year is going to have a monstrous year. He's he's one that I'm, I, I would not be surprised if he's an early entrant into the NFL draft because he's a 6'5 middle linebacker. You just that, That's typically not the build. He's got really long arms. He's been playing since he was a true freshman. And really, you know, uh, Michael Linebacker's got a reputation for being run stuffers. He could do that, but it's really impressive to see him cover ground in open space. And that's part of why Kentucky's past even so successful is because him and DeAndre Square are very good in the open field. All right, so I know Kentucky just signed a historic class, some of the best, I think is the best defensive line class in the nation. 
Are you expecting any of these kids to come in and play immediately? I know that's that's not really Mark Stoops what he tends to do, but hell, these kids may be too good to keep off the field. Is there one or two that you ex- really expect to see on the field next season? Uh, I'll give you three, and they're all in the trenches. So it's not, Actually, I'll give you four. Um, and two of those are on the defensive line. That's Justin Rogers, Kentucky's first five-star recruit since the internet was around. <laughs> um, so – he, he he is the highest-ranked recruit of the Rivals era um, at the University of Kentucky. I'm not sure where they'll slot him in on the defensive line, but he's got the talent, the twitch. I just don't know. He, he didn't arrive early, so you kind of wonder with those guys, mm-hmm. how long will it take to kind of develop? The same goes for Josiah Hayes, who, man, John Summerall, new assistant, he's recruiting like a madman in the South. Went down and – Wayne Kiffin had a lot of hype, and he snuck that kid out of Mississippi. He is an incredibly talented defensive line, and that's Kentucky lost a couple of guys: Calvin Taylor and T.J. Carter. Taylor was, I believe, second in the SEC in sacks last year. They could use some defensive linemen. They could use some bodies, and I think those guys can work their way into the rotation. On the offensive line, I mentioned Stenberg at the combine. He's the only offensive lineman they're replacing. So what do they do? They went and got a top ten offensive guard in R.J. Adams. That's another one. I'm worried he's not on campus yet, but I think he has all the skills um, to be able to come in and contribute as a freshman. But the one that people are going to remember his name, he's the guy that is billed as the next Lynn Bowden, and that's Michael Donut Drennan. Yes, he goes by Donut. Um, (laughs) That's that's his nickname. He said when he was a little kid, when he ran up and down the field with those big pads on, he looked like a, a donut flying by. Um, but he is one of those guys who is a four-star, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll play running back. I'll play slot receiver. And even though he was a, actually a signing in February, didn't get in uh, for the spring, he's, he's a plug-and-play. He's an incredible athlete that could have gone to school anywhere. And just the fact that they got were able to land him and was impressive. You'll see he made a hard late push, and he really had offers from where everyone to go. Drennan is a guy that is eventually going to be making headlines in the Southeastern Conference. All right, last question for you, Nick. You already said expectations, you know, the building towards this year, very deep, talented roster, particularly on that defensive side of the ball. I know it's early, but do you have just, you know, I'm not going to hold this against you or anything, but do you have an early maybe prediction for the coming season record-wise for Kentucky? I could not be more confident that Kentucky is going to win at Auburn. It's something about Auburn doing this kind of wildly inconsistent on again, off again, we're good. And then we're bad. I think the unfamiliarity helps Kentucky, especially on the defensive side. Um, when they're used to playing an offense, like what Malzahn has, the games that worry me the most are, it's really that stupid Tennessee game. I don't know why they've been able to beat them regularly. And it's making sure that stadium's filled when Georgia is there. So I, I ultimately, I, I've, I've got myself so worked up that Kentucky's going to be playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, that uh, I'm going to talk myself into it this early because I can. This is the best time to be incredibly overconfident. Absolutely. But uh, I really think that, you know, you go on the road to Tennessee, you go on the road to Florida, it's going to come down to four games next year. And you got to win two. And if you want to go to Atlanta, you've got to win at least three of those and have some other um, – have, have some balls bounce your way. But I will say that Georgia game, I know they played it in the rain last year. And um, an absolute monsoon in Athens, but it's one of those things where the when you used to watch Kentucky versus Georgia, they just didn't have the guy. 
Well, I think Kentucky's starting to get those guys, especially inside. And, and you know, you lose DeAndre Swift. Mark Stoops was ready for that guy to go to the NFL draft. <laughs> Georgia doesn't have one of those guys. They don't have Jake Brown. Jamie Newman, he's going to be fine. But I, I think if you can steal a win out of the swamp early in the season, we're going to be talking about going to Atlanta until somebody stops us. All right, so he's Nick Roush. You can follow him at RoushKSR on Twitter. He works for Kentucky Sports Radio and the host of the 11 Personnel Podcast. Really some outstanding stuff, Nick. I really appreciate you hopping on and joining with us. I think uh, the listeners are really going to appreciate this one. Well, I'm happy to be here and gas up the cats as much as possible. It's (laughs) what I do best. And, you know, maybe talk trash to Tennessee, too. All right, Shane. So how about that? I mean, he saved the best for the last here. Kentucky reaching Atlanta. That's the prediction here in March. You got to love optimism at this time of year. Thoughts on uh, that interview there with Nick Roush? Oh, can you give me a minute, Mike? I got to go get in our beer. I mean, we're talking <laughs> SEC championship here. Let me Give me a second. I'll be uh, right back. All right. All right. You there, bud? Yes, sir. All right. All right. Where were we? Kentucky SEC championship. All right. Now, <laughs> I thought that was a fantastic interview. Yeah. Just like Kelvin Joseph, you got to have that confidence, man. That's what you like to hear. You know, something that you, something that you and I were talking about this last podcast when they came out, national championship odds, Kentucky was at 90 to 1, Tennessee was at 41. Mm-hmm. And I told you, I think Kentucky is closer or as close as Tennessee is to win a national championship. I mean, if you're looking at just the odds in general, because what they do have coming back, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking a lot about Kentucky here lately. And you know what they kind of remind me of is obviously we know how good of a coach Dan Mullen is. All, all he's done at Florida and what he did at the tail end of his Mississippi state career. But mm-hmm. I believe when he left Mississippi state, I think he may have had a losing record in the SEC or just, you know, slightly above 500. It was one or the other. But a lot of people question it. And this kind of Mark Stoops, what he's built Kentucky into, kind of reminds me of what Dan Mullen had there running in Starkville, where, you know, they're always going to be picked down the bottom of the SEC. They're always going to have, maybe not always, but they're, they're just going to have more three stars that nobody knows their name outside of the state. And that doesn't matter because on Saturday, line up and they'll whip your ass if you're not ready for them. And often, I mean, they're surprising people. You know, they're beating teams like Florida now. Mm-hmm. They're contending. I mean, they are they haven't beaten Tennessee, obviously, but they're right there with them. And uh, I think on a good day, they could give Georgia a game. So, I don't know. I think this they've just developed in such a program where they're so sneaky good. It's kind of like Nick says – no one's going to be picking them to win in Gainesville. But if they somehow manage to get that one, um, I don't know. The sky could be the limit. The momentum could be building. And, you know, their cross-division SEC West game that that is not typical is at Auburn. And kind of like Nick said, kind of like we've been saying, Auburn is just one of these teams that when you – just when it's – Things are going right. I mean, the damn sky falls out on them. If if it's one of those years, all of a sudden that game doesn't look that challenging. <laughs> exactly. God, I just love college sports, Mike. You know, I mean, when he was so upset about Fulkerson, I was just thinking about that. I was like, you know, I've never had a thing against him, but you know that Tyler <laughs> Harrow guy they had last year saying buckets all the time. I didn't like him, but it's it's so funny 
how just like every team, I mean, everybody has a team to hate, you know, Auburn right. hates Alabama. They hate the name Tua. you know, you look at, I mean, it's just, it's just so, that's just what college sports, I mean, I just, I just freaking love it. And, uh, I felt, I felt the rage there, you know, cause I feel the passion here. So, Mm-hmm. Oh man, I just love college sports, Mike. Um, and they've dominated Louisville in recent years on the gridiron too. So now yeah. I can sense it from him. He's like, "Ah, we don't care about them." We're, we're <laughs> exactly. <never. laughs> it's it's exact. I mean, you th- think about the Egg Bowl, man. Just how heated that thing got last year. It's just that's why sports is great, and especially college sports, man. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. So let's kick it over to Knoxville. Balls are back. Before long, we'll be taking a bite out of everybody we play where the Vols, Shane, kicked off spring practice here this week. You know, some decent-sized news here. We're going to get to Jeremy Proven's comments here in just a moment, but I did want to make this note. Cooper Mays, the freshman, going to be sidelined for the spring. He had to have surgery. And then, of course, Emmett Gooden and Balin Buchanan both missed last season due to injuries. They are going to be you know, limited or completely held out in spring, however you want to read into that. So, all in all, though, I feel like it's a pretty healthy spring. Good news for Tennessee. And, you know, the biggest thing I wanted to get, every Tennessee fan has asked me about this, Shane. I'm sure you're hearing it left and right, too. Harrison Bailey, did you see the slant <laughs> he threw? And not only that, but what what are your reactions, Shane, to him wearing 15, Juwan Jennings' old number? Man, that is that is that Tennessee's new seven? You know what I'm saying? Like LSU? So I – I don't know. I mean, does the dog wear the 15? We're going to find out. That's big shoes to fill, though, because, you know, say what you want. Juwan Jennings, I, they, they joked about his 40 time, and I've I seen all that. But the, the kid had an absolute motor, and he loved his this university. Mm-hmm. Hell, he loved it more than I do. You know what I'm saying? He gave everything he could for Tennessee. And, and I hope that's what we get here with, with Harrison, man, because the hype train is uh, picking up, Mike. I wish I could give this person credit, but I honestly, I can't think of who said it, but uh, I'm not making, I'm not making this up. I saw it on Twitter. Someone said, our old dad and our new dad got the same number. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, man. I I saw two, two clips of him throwing the ball. One was an incompletion and and one was a, was one was a completion, just a small little slant, you know, but I, I, I saw it in like four or five group thread text messages. I was tagged on it in, on Twitter, you know. And then the ones that was a drop, you know, that's what they claimed. They said the receiver dropped. Nobody said it was a bad ball. So they done grounded, Mike, you know. So that's the thing, though, I did want to ask you on a serious note. Any danger here that they're just hyping this kid up? And I mean, at this rate, I know it's early, it's only one spring practice, but, the, you know, someone, Alex Myers of WBIR, put out the video and it's got like 80,000 views if this kid doesn't hit the field and beat Florida or something I mean it it seems like the fan base is just gonna feel like he's a disappointment or something yeah no I I think can it happen definitely and you and and it's happened with Tennessee I mean think about it in the past you uh, Riley Ferguson you, you remember him? Yep. Ever, I mean, the hype was picking up for him. He, he was going to be the next guy. Next thing you know, he's transferring out. Uh, you, you, I mean, you could go uh, even further back. Yeah, Brent Schaefer. Then he goes to Ole Miss. You know, it's like the hype train on quarterbacks, you, you got to be careful, um, you know, especially, especially. I, with, I think you can even say Garantano, the hype train. 
For sure. I mean, he was he was a higher-ranked quarterback as far as a uh, dual threat than – you just told me his name. Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts. Because that's the only thing that I see – you know, I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that the fan base doesn't build him up so much. Hell, I mean, you can go outside. We've seen it in South Carolina now. It seems like we're going we're, – we're in our hype train number three mm-hmm. of quarterbacks Field. there at the Gamecocks. So. Fields in Georgia. You know, you got to mm-hmm. be careful because sometimes when you put too much on a kid – he doesn't want to be there, you know. Next thing you know, he the expectations are too high. These some of these kids, man, they're it's 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 all mental with them, man. I mean, look how they babied what's his name in Florida last year, you know, Felipe. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, it's psychological and and when you're putting all this on him and the number fifteen jersey, I mean, that's a lot of pressure, man. You might as well put give him sixteen, just unretire the number and just let him have. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Just crown the kid, and then you, you you're putting him in a in a, a big shoes to fill. So I, I don't want to put the pressure on him because he's not. I'm not expecting him to play this year. You know, I if all goes well, we probably I'd be cool with not seeing him to his junior year. I mean, unless he's just just takes a huge step forward and he just passes these kids on the depth chart. But I don't want to put that pressure on him. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of pressure, Shane, but. If he is that good, <laughs> I hope he has the job first first game this fall. Okay. All right. Yeah, because yeah, because he I mean he very well could be the difference, you know what? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's kick it over to uh, Jeremy Pruitt here, Shane, who met with the media for the first time on uh, Tuesday evening. And uh, I, I really like these comments he made about uh, Jim Chaney entering his second year with the program and what that does for the Vols. Jeremy Pruitt broke some news here, I guess you want to say. He never said the word Alabama, but he made it very clear. The Crimson Tide reached out, tried to hire Craig Fitzgerald, the strength coach. And they got to, they got the old stiff arm. And then finally Pruitt on the quarterback competition. Last year, remember, it was all Jared Gantano's show. Uh, he's not making anywhere close to those statements here. Well, to start with offensively, um, you know, the longer you do something, the better you should be at it. Um, you know, I felt like as the season went last year that we played a little cleaner, um, you know, didn't turn the ball over as much, um, something that we need to build on this offseason. Um, got a lot of players coming back. Uh, we lost some really good players also, so we've got some holes to fill there. But, um, you know, I think when it comes to a terminology standpoint, understanding expectations. Um, you know, I, I feel like with, with Jim and, and the offensive staff being here the second time around, um, you know, you, we're definitely a little further ahead than we were this time last year, for sure. Uh, and we've got we've to continue to get better every single day. So there needs to be lots of growth uh, this spring uh, on the offensive side. Um, and if they'll get, continue to give the effort and you know, in the meeting rooms and on the field, we'll get there. You know, you're talking about the strength staff. I can't say enough about Craig and, and his guys and, and what they've done over the last three years. Uh, our guys continue to get bigger and stronger and, and, and develop discipline and, and, to me, a lot of mental toughness, uh, you know, in the off season, I think – you know, Craig's a guy that's in high demand. There's no secret. There's been several jobs that's been open across our league, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And Craig was the first guy that they called, you know, and he decided to stay here. So, um, you know, he that he's in demand uh, because he's good at what he does. Well, I think Jared's played a lot of 
ball, right? You know, um, if you look over the last half of the year, um, uh, Jarrett done a lot of really good things to help us win football games, you know? Uh, JT done some things in the South Carolina game, UAB game that helped us win some football games. You know, uh, Brian uh, showed some promise at times, you know. Uh, all these guys, the first year in the system, they're not going to do anything but continue to improve. Um, you know, we've got good competition there, you know. So, uh, Jarrett's a guy that um, has played a lot of ball, uh, you know, and I think if you look at all three of those guys, they, they, there's a lot of positives that they do, okay? We've got to eliminate the few mistakes that we've made over the last year. And, and with another year in the system, that's something that we're working on. You know, we've got a couple of other quarterbacks in that room, uh, Harrison Bailey, Jimmy Holiday, uh, Kasim Hill. They're taking the same amount of reps too. So uh, we've got good competition because we got to figure out who our first quarterback is, who our second quarterback is, who our third quarterback is, and they'll get a chance to do that throughout the spring. Um, you know, I think that's every position, right? Um, you know, in this business, it's, 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 you're only as good as your last game, right? Whether you're a coach, whether you're a, a player. So there's, there's always, there always needs to be competition so everybody will be at their best. Well, the plan right now is to rep six guys. Uh, if there's a point in time that, that we feel like that maybe somebody eliminates their self, then obviously we would, we would get, whether it's five, four, three, whatever it is, right? But we're gonna continue to work for groups. So there's gonna be lots of opportunities, uh, you know, for throws and uh, to kind of create some chemistry on the offensive side of the ball. So um, we do that every practice and we practice uh, like that in our scrimmages. So these guys will get plenty of opportunities this spring. All right, Shane, so how about it? Uh, old Jeremy Pruitt got his first win over Nick Saban, it sounds like, by uh, keeping old Craig Fitzgerald here. I like it. I like it. But it's also playing into that narrative you've been kind of hitting at, Mark. You know, five years ago, do you think Craig's turning down that job? Hell no. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, man. I think I think that negative recruiting is at 110% right now, and – and uh, good, good get. I mean, man, he's he's been trying to. I mean, he's been poached. Just I don't know every month, the last twelve months they tried to get him <laughs> last year, and so I, I'm just glad he's sticking around with us. And what he's been able to do with the athletes on this team is absolutely amazing. That's why they want him. You know, when you've got a when you got a strength and conditioning uh, coach like Craig, there's a reason you want people to come get him or try to get him because he's the best in the business. But, you know, it's also saying a lot to Pruitt being able to keep him in-house. Mm -hmm. And it just would have been doubly hurtful if because he's going to your damn <laughs> rival. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure, man. That That is that is that's a Scott Cochran move, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Shane, I think that's a, a good time to jump to our interview here with Tony Basilio. Going to preview some Tennessee football, some outstanding stuff from the Knoxville radio host. Uh, let's kick it over to Tony Basilio. We're pleased now to be joined by Tennessee radio legend Tony Basilio, host of the Tony Basilio Show, which can be heard daily on WJBE 99.7 FM and 1040 AM weekdays from 11 AM to 1 PM Eastern Time. And don't forget to check out TonyBasilio.com Tony, thanks so much for joining the show. I really, really do appreciate it. 
Oh, Mike, I love it, man. It's so great to visit with you. And don't go calling me a legend. You're making me feel old. But I'll tell you this. I really admire and appreciate the work that you do because you do a fantastic job. And uh, I tell everybody that you are an absolute must-follow on Twitter. And anytime I've had you on my show, you deliver the goods. So I hope I can uh, return the favor. Absolutely. Well, let's just get right into it. And, you know, before we you know, talk about the 2020 season. I just want to get your thoughts looking back to 2019, Tennessee's great run, finished the season on a 6-0 run, won seven of the last eight. Are you a believer that Jeremy Pruitt's program has turned the corner or are you one of these still in the wait and see given that, uh, you know, the teams Tennessee beat at the end of the year, not the best teams in the SEC, but Hell, I mean, it's it's hard to win six straight in, at any level of college football, I think. Jeremy Pruitt showed me a lot, and, uh, you know, his team really played with a lot of heart. When you're one and four, and you've lost to Georgia State and BYU and really look bad doing it, last year Tennessee had an opportunity. They were either going to fold or not when they played Mississippi State. And as it turns out, that was a doorway game. Tennessee season was never the same nor was Mississippi State's. Um, I remember going on a couple shows in Alabama and people asking me if Jeremy Pruitt will be available by the end of November to come back and be Alabama's defensive coordinator. And here we are one off season later. And yesterday the word comes down that Craig Fitzgerald, Tennessee strength and conditioning coach, rebuffed overtures from Alabama who wanted him to, uh, go down there and be their guy. So, you know, it's just interesting. Um, I give, uh, I give Jeremy Pruitt and that coaching staff a lot of credit for what they did last year. The trick this season is not to have the same kind of start to this year that they had last year and thus give yourself to have a chance to have a pretty good year, which, you know, if you look at Tennessee and where they are, uh, this is a ball club, depending on how you count returning starters and this and that. But, I mean, the number, I'd say, is probably 16 starters. Some say 18 returning starters. That's a lot of returning starters, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you hit on that Craig Fitzgerald because I was going to ask you about that. That is, yeah. That's huge for Tennessee. And I just wanted to get your thoughts also because if you look at Nick Saban, um, I don't know how – closely you follow that program but hell they hired a guy from indiana he's got three years experience at the major college football level he was at high school before that Uh, he's never never adequately replaced jeremy pruitt there's just turnover after turnover is this i know tennessee hasn't beaten them on the field yet but i really thought jeremy pruitt out coached nick saban in that game last year obviously alabama had the better team and won the game but you look at that game ed orgeron out coached nick saban gus malzahn outcoached Nick Saban in the Iron Bowl. Is, yes. Do you think this is this is really just – we've already seen the beginning of the end of the Alabama dynasty here? Boy, I've said that so many times with him and the fella at New England. Hmm. I tell you, Mike, I, I'll believe that when I say it. I, I've learned just not to shovel dirt on Nick Saban's grave because he, he keeps getting out of, the, uh, out of the freaking casket like it's the undertaker at a pay-per-view. And so with that in mind, I just look at this season. You know, you go back to last year, because Tennessee gets them in their building this year, which could be, could be very interesting by the time that game occurs, depending on the start the balls have. Mm-hmm. Last season, 
Tennessee knocks two out of that game, an injury he's just now gotten basically cleared from because he was, you know, he was pretty much uh, hurt, even though they, they tried to go with him. But, you know, he just wasn't the same after that. Um, so the they they injure him, which was the beginning of the end for him last year in college football. And then um, if Jared Garantano handles that game well down the stretch and doesn't do the uh, Statue of Liberty play when he's supposed to be doing a goal line stand, or, or rather uh, uh, running a goal, goal line offense, he does a Statue of Liberty, puts the ball straight up in the air. I have no idea what he was doing on his quarterback sneak, but if Tennessee gets competent quarterback play there, they might have won that game. Mm-hmm. Wait, I mean, think about that. That's kind of remarkable to say that because that looked like a game when it started that the Vols were going to get beat something like 42 to 14, uh, which leads me to this. College football is beautiful, and you know this, especially Southeastern Conference football, because you really never know what's going to happen. I just know this. I'm not going to shovel dirt on Alabama, but I will say this about Saban. I think Saban's fallen into this uh, trap. Because he has so many media people that kiss his ass and they constantly do it, that I think he believes that. You know, when I hear him talk, I don't hear him blame himself. I hear him blame this guy, or I hear him blame that coach, or I hear him blame this kid that wasn't ready, or that kid. I, you don't hear him say much. Hey, you know what? That was my fault. It's interesting, isn't it? It is. And, you know, you also hit on the most interesting topic. I know you're getting it left and right because that's how I'm getting it. The quarterback battle there, Tennessee's camp, Jarrett Garantano, the fans are going crazy. We saw the Alex Myers videos. I think it's got damn near 50,000 views of uh, Harrison, Harrison, Harrison Bailey throwing a slant against no defense. So, I mean, Vol Nation is, they're ready to turn the keys over to Harrison Bailey. Who do you have starting at quarterback? Just a prediction when the season starts uh, in 2020. Coaches are risk averse. Garantano, this whole time he's been here, has been a very good practice player. Uh, He just gets the games and he can't do it. But he's very good in practice. That will continue. I think that he'll, when Tennessee goes, starts the season, he'll be the quarterback for Charlotte. He'll be the quarterback at Oklahoma. He'll be the quarterback probably in the uh, end of the the, uh, month in the Florida game. The question is, Who's the quarterback when October rolls around? Does he keep the job? Uh, by that time, is Bailey ready to assume the role? Um, is it going to be Hill? Are the other two kids going to be here uh, that are vying for the job? Can Jimmy Holiday uh, sneak in and grab some reps? Because he's a really tremendous athlete, I hear from people I respect. They say that his athletic ability jumps off the page. It's going to be very interesting how that thing plays out. I call Garantano, and I'm terrible for doing this, but I've called him Club Gitmo because his name is kind of like Guantanamo down there, Cuba. And it's torture sometimes watching him play quarterback. He just And he tortures our fan base, poor kid. I feel sorry for him. Because by all accounts, he's a, he's a nice young man, and he's, you know, he, he, he's tough as he wants to be. Can't knock him out of games. Um, but in the moment, he's just not—he's just not very good. And so you would think that Harrison Bailey, somebody this year, is going to get an opportunity or figures to get an opportunity. But then again, you know, Tennessee's hired uh, this Chip Long, who comes over from uh, Notre Dame, 
and he's in an advisory role for them. You know, one of these one of these guys that's not quote unquote uh, an assistant coach, but yet he's there in an advisory role. And the thought is that he's going to work with the quarterback some. He did a great job last year at Notre Dame with Ian Book, bringing him along. And the thought is that he's going to be able to uh, make an impact. So I guess we'll we'll see if that comes to pass. How about this? I've I've not heard this storyline really touched on a lot in Knoxville. Uh huh. Jim Chaney, Derek Ansley, both returning at the coordinator positions for their second year on Rocky Top. Is that something that's being overlooked? And not only for Garantano, who's never had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row, but that that entire Tennessee offense has never had that. So I mean, is that is that something that could play a factor in 2020 and Tennessee having some success? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think you saw that last year, you know, just some adult supervision to slow the bleeding uh, when it came last year. You know, I shudder to think what would have happened if uh, the fellow that I call what the Helton, uh, who did a nice job at Western Kentucky, by the way, as their head coach. But if if Helton would have uh, stayed as Tennessee's offensive coordinator last year when they had that poor start, and the problem with him was, just talking to people, internally when things started to slip, there just wasn't a lot of, of body of work there to draw from. Whereas Cheney, it's like, okay, we'll make a switch here. We'll switch it up to Maurer. You know, when they switched it up to Maurer, who, couldn't, who was integral in winning that Mississippi State game that I referenced earlier, which really helped Tennessee get back on the right footing, Maurer played a Vital role last year in keeping the wheels on Tennessee is, uh, and letting uh, Garantano get back in there. But, you know, Garantano came back kind of a different quarterback. He wasn't great. He was okay. He certainly wasn't bad like he was when he started the season. Um, and so, yeah, I think the stability is going to help, and I think this long guy is going to help. Um, but I think you bring up a great point on both sides of the line of scrimmage. If there's, if there's one hallmark – We've seen here during the lost years at Tennessee, the lost decade, it is complete instability just across the board. Mm-hmm. And instability from the coordinators. You know, um, when Dooley was here, there was instability. When Butch Jones here, there was complete instability. And one thing that Pruitt's done, you know, Pruitt, people judge Pruitt by the way he talks, and they think he's kind of, um, you know, um, Forrest Gumpy. And there is a little bit of that with him, which I th- which I kind I find kind of endearing. Don't let him fool you, though. That's a pretty bright football coach who's made a lot of sound decisions within his football program. Now, assuming Cade Mays is eligible, and I know that's maybe a dangerous assumption to make, but if yeah. Cade Mays is eligible, when is the last time Tennessee had an offensive line going into the year that was this good, in your opinion? I would have to go back to the team that made it to the SEC championship game. I, I, uh, that would be 2007. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's a while. And if you know, you think about Tennessee's offensive line this year. If if they can get Mays eligible, uh, they're going to be a top four, top three, top four offensive line in the Southeastern Conference, and it's been forever since we've had those kind of conversations. And the truth is when you have that kind of offensive line, you can start thinking about beating people that can play rather than, as you said, 
beating the teams at the bottom part of your schedule that can't play. You can start thinking about going to an Oklahoma, taking the air out of the ball, slowing down their great offense and beating them. Um, maybe getting Georgia uh, and extending them in a game, you know, to a point where you, you – that's the thing that a great offensive line does, and you've seen that in this league. We saw that with LSU last year. Mm-hmm. Look, when I'm able to control the football – well, obviously, LSU is not a really good example because they were so good offensively with their skill people and Burrow in the year that he had. But, you know, just the concept of shortening games, because truly, Tennessee, if they have an Achilles heel, it's in their linebacking core and it's somewhat in their defensive line. And, you know, you can mitigate those things with, with very good offensive line play. So what is your conference level in this receiver core next year, considering Juwan Jennings, Marquez Callaway are gone? And you're never going to hear me say anything bad about either one of those guys, in particular Juwan Jennings, one of my favorite Tennessee Vols of all time. But neither one of them ever had a 1,000-yard season. So let's not make it out that they're losing two of the best players of all time here. And do you have any insight on D'Angelo Gibbs and the impact he could make for Tennessee next season? Gibbs, uh, in the first practice yesterday in spring ball, worked out with the wide receivers. They love, love his mentality, his toughness. They think he's going to be a real contributor. A couple of the um, signees are going to get an opportunity to play right away. They like Keaton. Brandon Johnson's a guy that redshirted last year with the thought that he would come back this year and be able to contribute and play. Um, I will say, to your point on those wide receivers, it's hard to have breakout numbers when Jared Garantano is your quarterback. And here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. He just didn't throw and doesn't throw a deep ball well. And when you can't take the top off a defense, and and those guys at times – ran routes and were open and he couldn't get balls to him. If you go back and you look at the catches, a lot of the big catches Jennings made during his time with Garantano, he had the high point balls and just come down with 50, 50 balls. And I'm not diminishing, you know, Garantano's ability. Cause I think he throws an intermediate slant route as well as anybody in college football. But for some reason, for some reason, he really struggles trying to get the long ball to connect on the long ball. He throws balls out of bounds. He throws balls short. You know, in, in college football, you've got to be able to take the top off of defenses. You just do. All right, so we know, obviously, it's Jeremy Pruitt's system and his defense. Yes. And I thought Derek Ansley, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a move they were making more for recruiting, but I think he turned out his first year to be an outstanding defensive coordinator. But those are the only two defensive coaches that are returning from their side of the ball heading into 2020. Any concern with you, given the fact that defense made such strides last year that every position coach on that defense has been changed over this offseason? I think it's more about personnel than it is the coaches. They were so unhappy with the recruiting on the defensive side of the football, and that's why they, that's why they made changes ultimately. Uh, and Quite frankly, I mean, you had a guy that was in Jeremy Pruitt's wedding who just mailed it in on the defensive side of, 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 the, uh, of the equation. And Pruitt showed me something. You know, he went to a guy that was in his wedding, and he said, hey, look, um, it ain't working out. 
and he's in pro football now. Uh, and then you had another guy in, in Tracy Rocker, who's a big name guy didn't want to recruit. Mm-hmm. And he's over at South Carolina. Tracy Rocker's a guy Tennessee will miss because he did a really nice job as a tactician developing his defensive line. The, to me, the biggest need for the Vols uh, on defense is their uh, inside linebacker. And you got Crouch, who they're counting on, but he's sidelined for the spring. So he had a, I think he had a, like a shoulder surgery. Yeah, he had shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry T. Uh, is going to be their leader, true sophomore. Yesterday, you had um, Salon Page out there who's played spotty. You've had a, you had a converted defensive back, uh, uh, Aaron Beasley. Somewhere in there is J.J. Peterson, who I was told yesterday was running behind a walk-on. And that's a former five-star recruit, which, you know, just goes to show you in that recruiting game, uh, it's a box of chocolates. So, um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see if they can come up with some numbers at linebacker, enough numbers to be effective. Well, you may have already answered this question, but I was going to ask you about J.J. Peterson. Is this the year the light comes on for him, or is it you think they're throwing in the towel on that? You know, I don't think they're throwing in the towel. I mean, you never want to throw the, in the towel on anybody, but – I think if you're him and you walk out there for your first workout in your third spring on campus and you're behind a walk-on, you tell me what that would say to you. That would say to me either I'm going to work hard at this and prove myself or I'm – I might go need to find another place to play. I mean, that's just that's got to be very. I don't know if it's disheartening for him, but I would think it would be disheartening. Well, one player you didn't mention there with the linebacking core, and he's not even on the team at this point, Jeremy Banks. Do you think there's a possibility he is on this team come the fall, and uh, does he potentially play a factor? Any information on the latest with Jeremy Banks? Well, I love you asking me that because. They've been real hush-hush on that. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the social media age we live in. You probably know this because you monitor the league unlike any other. You're like the guardian on, on uh, social media. <laughs> something happens, you know about it before anybody else. But Banks put a tweet out saying that he was really blessed and pleased that he was coming back. And then Pruitt went out and knocked that down. Tennessee went out and knocked that down. Here's what I understand. Behind the scenes, after the both incidents happened with Jeremy Banks last year, they essentially sat down with him. Philip Fulmer and the head coach sat down together. Look, this guy is too good. We don't want to throw him away. We're trying to compete in this league. Plus, he's not a bad kid. Though, though, the, though the video looked bad. He's just a kid that comes from a rough area, and he's not the first one. But he's just an emotional young man that needs some guidance. So basically what they did is, and I feel pretty confident this occurred, they set up a plan for him, and they said, Jeremy, if you'll meet these criteria, 
stay keep keep the car in the middle of the road. Show us in good faith that you want to be here. We'll go to bat for you. Well, Jeremy did basically everything that they wanted him to do to that point. He assumed he was back, but they still have to work it at the university level, and and they will. I think they get that thing worked out. I think, to your point, I think he's on the field when uh, the season starts. If I had to make a prediction, I'd say he's back, yes. And I think that's the beauty of that. I mean, that's that's the development, I think, of Pruitt as a not just a defensive guy or as a coach, but just a, a leader of a program. And Philip Fulmer, them working together. If he messes up off the field, he's not even part of the team anymore. You know, it's the, that door's closed. If he does what he's supposed to do, they welcome him back. And maybe they got another Juwan Jennings on their program. And obviously you want that for the young man to, you know, help his life down the road. But, hell, that's just going to help him in recruiting, too, if they if they can essentially rehab Jeremy Banks and give him a second chance and he makes the most of it. Yeah, I'm not here to throw you away, you know. Um, because the easy thing to do with a kid like that is to go, oh, man, just wash your hands of him. Because it isn't like – He's some kind of all-league performer. But to your point, I think he has like an all-league heart, kind of like you were just talking about the outgoing wide receiver, same kind of thing, who when he came back really embraced being a team leader and walks out of here one of the – John Jennings walks out of here one of the most beloved Vols of this generation, and for good reason. Um, and so if I was to make a prediction, I just believe that at the end of the day, you're going to see Banks on, on, the, on the field for the Vols. They're, they're going to try to finesse it. Uh, you'll be sitting there in a late spring day if we all survive coronavirus, uh, <laughs> middle of the summer, you're, and you'll be sitting there and you'll go, man, Basilio had something there. They'll, they'll sneak him in there on a Friday afternoon, put a release out, that he's back on the team. I fully expect that to happen. Now, one other possible off-season addition that could be coming, Zach Evans, the five-star running back. Nobody seems to know what in the hell is going on in his recruitment. Do you have any knowledge or insight, or have you heard any whispers of anything? I know now it seems like Florida's picked up some momentum, and now you got Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss there. That's that's always dangerous when they're involved. When Ole Miss is in a re- recruiting battle, you know something could be fishy going on. But any inkling of what Zach Evans may do? It's a complete five-ring circus around him. I'm so sorry for that kid because his team of people around him has ensured that no matter what happens with him, uh, that the circus is going to be perpetuated around him. And I just know that. I know Tennessee's still in there. Uh, to what extent, it's probably difficult to say. But I'm expecting the bearded lady to show up, uh, the juggler. Uh, I mean, this guy, it's a circus around him. And you talk about a guy that's stretching it out and is taking his 15 minutes of fame and turning it into 45 minutes. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. And Tennessee ended up getting this guy, but it reminds me of Bryce Brown's recruitment about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And I've got a 
guy that comes on my show once a week with me, and he had a great line. He follows a recruiting game rather closely. And his saying is, goofy recruitment, goofy career. You think about that for a second. Think about guys like him who have these goofy-ass recruitments, these crazy announcements, these silly look-at-me things they do during recruitments. And then you think about the careers they have versus the kids that, you know, have their day, have a press conference, commit and sign with somebody, and just kind of have normal recruitments or even understated type recruitments. Those are the kids that go on and have really good careers. It's hard to find a person that has uh, the type of recruitment that this kid has perpetuated on himself and his handlers have perpetuated around him and, and show me a great career. Can you think of anybody? No, I mean, usually you're right. You're right. When the circus comes, I mean, it just seems like it's one thing after another once they arrive on campus. Yes. And that's it. And so internally, I just know that Tennessee obviously would take him. He's, he's a great talent. He's a all-world type talent. But so was Bryce Brown. And Bryce Brown did very, very little at the collegiate level. And then he ended up at the, in the NFL. He did very little at the NFL level. And he was a guy with all-world talent who people talk about because he had a goofy recruitment. Last question for you, Tony. If Tennessee is going to take that next step under Jeremy Pruitt, we're still waiting, I think, for that signature victory, the game Tennessee fans are circling, at Oklahoma, Florida, Alabama, both at home, and at Georgia. Which of those games is the most winnable, do you think, for Tennessee next season? Boy, that's a great question. Of those four games... Simply because I just think Big 12 football is just a different animal. Oklahoma's breaking in a new quarterback. Defensively, they're a borderline joke. At that point in time, if Mays is eligible, early in the season, they will have essentially a brand-new quarterback, as we just said, uh, a defense that they have a horrendous secondary. I think that is the most gettable of the four marquee signature possibilities for the Vols. Because I, I look at Florida, and though they haven't knocked the doors off recruiting, they still have a tremendous amount of talent, as you know. Mm-hmm. Think about Georgia, and I just don't think Tennessee's in Georgia's class yet. And though Nick Saban, though the old boy mer- may be barely breathing, as the old song goes, you know, the, the heart of rock and roll is still beating with him. I, I, I'm not throwing dirt on his grave yet. So I'm going to go with Oklahoma. All right, there you have it, Tennessee fans. Get ready for that hype. Week two trip to Oklahoma. Make your way to Norman. Tony Basilio, best shot to win. And, uh, man, the Tennessee hype train is going to be out of control if they win that one. And that's what you love. You know, I, I do my post-game show after every basketball and football game. Mm-hmm. And... When Tennessee beat Florida, they came back from a 21-3. to I, I looked it up the other day. We were on for seven and a half hours. 
without taking a commercial. I sit in my studio and take phone call after phone call after phone call, seven and a half hours. Now, what you've got to do is, and you're doing that, is you, you wait for a long-winded caller, and then you go take your bathroom break. <laughs> Nobody even knows you're doing it, which I'm sure is TMI in your world. But the point is, the passion here and the folks in Vol Nation are so star- starved and so want to see their team come back to relevance. You know, it's one thing to win seven games or eight games. When you beat one of the big boys and you upset the social order in college football as you do that, um, then you start to become relevant. Tennessee's still not there, but they're scratching their way back to relevance. I think this coach is a pretty damn good coach, if you ask me. Well, there you have it, folks, from Tony Basilio of the Tony Basilio Show, which can be heard once again on WJBE 99.7 FM, 1040 AM weekdays, 11 AM to 1 PM, and after the games. I know he's talked me off the ledge many times. I think my personal favorite was your Greg Schiano day. I think you were on the air for about 20 hours. It was <laughs> yeah. That's that's why I call you a legend. Not, <laughs> but there that'd be the band, the myth. Right there, Tony Basilio, thank you so much for giving us your time and providing so much insight. I really do appreciate it. I think the listeners are, are going to love this one. Listen, I think the world of you, and I always love any time we can get together. And uh, I count you as a real blessing, man, out on the scene. So keep doing what you're doing, Mike. Absolutely. And anytime you need anything from me, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help. All right, Shane, so that, that was some outstanding stuff from one of my favorite guys in this media world, Tony Basilio. I thought he really brought it there and uh, as entertaining, as insightful as is always there. Uh, left some nuggets there, particularly about Jeremy Banks and, uh, and everything there. So uh, what was your thoughts on that one? Oh, man, Tony's I, I, Tony's one of the all-time greatest, man. Uh, especially, he's, he's great when things are great. He's even better when things are bad. You know what I'm saying? It's like when, I mean, Tennessee's been through some dark days and there's nothing like turning on Tony and just sponging it up. Listen to each depressing caller knowing I've been there. I'm there. I know what he's going through. So uh, he's just a good listener, man. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard a lot of the same things with Jeremy Banks. and I think they're playing that situation perfectly. And, I also agree with him on Jarrett Garantano, particularly going out on the road early in the season against Oklahoma. It seems like, you know, that's the way the Tennessee coaches will probably lean unless uh, one of these other quarterbacks really steps up and sees the job. Not saying they can't because what we've seen from Brian Maurer, you know, maybe he's got his, uh, hopefully he's got his concussion issues solved. That may be their guy. I could, if he really wins the job, I could see him, taking the reins there on the road in Norman but I I guess I'm thinking more Harrison Bailey I don't know if he would be quite ready to hit the road in such a marquee game week two of the season but uh, let me ask you that same question that I asked Tony Basilio Shane Tennessee still searching for that signature win in my opinion of the Jeremy Pruitt era four key games all Tennessee fans have circled on their calendar week two at Oklahoma Week four at home against Florida. Uh, later, the third Saturday in October, of course, Alabama at home. And then November 14th, first time it's kicked back all the way this late in the season, but uh, the 10th game of the season at Georgia. Which of those four do you, Cousin Shane, think Tennessee is most likely to win in 2020? Mm. 
Besides all of them, I think I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go with Oklahoma myself. And, and the reason is, if you were to ask an Oklahoma fan about Tennessee football right now, they're probably going to know the Georgia State game. You know, and in their mind, they're going to be overlooking this team. And, uh, you know, we struggled out of the gates last year. I don't think we do that this year because something you hit on in that interview is uh, the fact that these coordinators are coming back. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's there's not a lot of pieces they're they're putting back together. You know they they know what's expected of them. Uh, we've got a lot of returning talent, especially on the offensive line, which I think is absolutely huge, and, and just punch these guys in the mouth, make it a physical game. Uh, Oklahoma is is going to be returning a lot of players, uh, even especially at quarterback and uh, on defense. So I think we take advantage of that. And if we're going to catch somebody off guard, it's going to be them. Mm-hmm. Well, Shane, I, I may surprise you here, but if I'm looking at those four games, mm-hmm. I honestly think the one that will be the most winnable, and it lands on my birthday, Shane, Alabama. <laughs> I think this is the year Tennessee beats Alabama. I really do. Man, that is a, you know, that's an awesome. If you if that happens, do I have to get you anything for your birthday? Because that's like the ultimate prize right there. I just, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'll get you something. Uh, I'll get you. I'll get you something nice. Um, I like it. And but what makes you think uh, that this would be the year that Tennessee would have the opportunity? I mean, you're picking from Oklahoma from Florida, from Georgia, you're saying out of those three, four spot would be Alabama. Is it because it's at home? I mean, is that a factor or, or is this late in the season? Something else is going on. What makes you think the third Saturday in October would be the year that we finally get to smoke a cigar? Mm-hmm. Well, I really think um, based on what I've seen that kid from Oklahoma, their new quarterback, I think he's going to be pretty damn good. So that's going to be tough. Georgia at the end of the season at home. That's obviously going to be incredibly, t- you know, difficult. And we got the damn Florida jinx on us. And it seems like Dan Mullen's got Jeremy Pruitt's number. So a combination of those factors. And, you know, go back and watch that Alabama game. Kind of reference it there with Tony Basilio. I really think Jeremy Pruitt out coached Nick Saban. I'm not trying to sit here and say, you know, I'm not trying to pump up Pruitt too much and say he's better coach than Nick Saban, but hell for that day he was. And not long after that, Alabama, Nick Saban getting outcoached against Ed Orgeron. He badly got outcoached, I thought, by Gus Malzahn. I mean, hell, it cost him the game. He didn't know what he was doing out there with that, that final play, if you remember. So I don't know. I've just been seeing Nick Saban kind of taking a step back in, in terms of coaching. And I think Alabama's going to be one of those teams that, you know, they're not going to take a huge step back. They got too much talent, but I do think they're going to take a small step back next year. And then Mm -hmm. here's a key for me, and this is something that it's kind of hard to equate, and it it doesn't always work out this way, but I've seen it in the past, particularly in the SEC. That game, Shane, remember, we're going back to a season with only one bye week. Mm -hmm. Alabama will have eight games in eight weekends and that that final one is this Tennessee game whereas Tennessee will be off the week before this game they'll have two weeks to prepare for it so I really think towards you know we're talking mid-October here you got one team 
with two weeks to prepare, the other team coming off eight consecutive games. That really takes a toll on you. And now that Tennessee mm-hmm. is, they're not on Alabama's level yet in terms of talent or depth, but they're getting a lot closer, particularly bringing everyone back on both lines of scrimmage. I think Tennessee could have a stronger offensive line than Alabama even next year. I think that could be the difference in this one. Well, not to mention, when they do come back from there, after this game, who's the next team that they play? Are you talking Tennessee or Alabama? Alabama. Uh, After Tennessee, they have a bye, and then they have LSU. That's what I'm saying. Do you think maybe a little trap game playing too? Just, you know, thinking about the president showing up for that one. (laughs) You know, he ain't going to be at this Tennessee game, I'll tell you that right now. But (laughs) this could be the one, buddy. Could be the one. I like the way you think. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like like both these interviews today. Uh, Tony, again, fantastic follow. If you haven't followed, if you're not following both these guys, you're 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 crazy. These guys got a lot of information on their teams, but uh, the one thing about Tony that that I really liked, that really stood out to me, honestly, just the momentum of this program, the fact that the we ended the season on top of a mountain, man. I mean, compared to where we came from, mm-hmm. and going into this next season, um, I think that we are going to be better prepared. Um, I think we we know what we have at quarterback right now. It, are, is Coach happy? No, but I think the leash is a lot shorter too. So if Garantano does mess up, even if it's the opening game against Charlotte, you know, I still think that we're going to get a pull here, that we're going to get some play for some of these younger kids. And you know what? It may be holiday. You know what I'm saying? It may be him that provides the spark. It may be Bailey. It may. I mean, there's just – we don't know what's going to happen, but I think the coach knows exactly what he has with number two, and he's not going to let him, you know, he's not going to let him lose any games. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and how about looking at it this way, Shane? I know we've talked Georgia State to death, but they shouldn't have lost that game. That's ancient history. They gave away the BYU game. What is this offseason like if Tennessee had won 10 games last year, which had they won those two, that's you know they would have won ten. It would have been a ten win season. Yeah, I mean you do that, then people are talking about you in the off season. There's not a lot of a lot of Tennessee hype going on right now because of the way. Right, if you, I think they're just looking at wins and losses. And like I said, the BYU, the Georgia State game, that's still stuck in their head. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about how we finish the season. So I'm with you. If if this. If they would have won those games and, and we're sitting there at 10 wins, then people are going to start saying, okay, it's it's Georgia, it's Florida, and Tennessee's right there. You know, he's right on the hills. And if they could beat, if they can get over the Florida Gators, there's a real chance that they could compete for these, that they could be playing in the SEC championship. But we don't have that buzz, which it's okay. But you beat a team like Oklahoma in week two, you're going to have that buzz real quick. Yeah, it's almost like Tennessee fans – that know the program well, they probably don't even want that buzz. You know what? So it may it may have worked <laughs> out perfectly for them. And just like Kentucky, uh, I mean, you got him on talking about probably going to be in their minds competing for an SEC championship. But who's to say they're not? You know what they were able to do last year with a wide receiver at quarterback was impressive. Now I think the defensive hop is, is the defensive hop's getting a little blown out of proportion, Kentucky. And it's not that they don't have a 
that they have a bad unit. It's just I think that when you had that type of offense last year with Bowden just just chewing up that clock, I think it statistically is going to make your defense look phenomenal. And I think that's what we had a little bit more of last year. But they are going to be bigger, faster, stronger this season. So who's to say that they can't compete in the East? So I, I think the East is a little bit more open than people are giving it credit for. I, I think, well, let me say this. I say the top is not as high as it used to be. It used to be Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that gap is getting smaller. And that's why you're seeing games like this South Carolina and Georgia last year. You know what I'm saying? I think we're going to start seeing more of that because the talent gap isn't as wide as it used to be. All right, Shane, so that's all I got on this one. We got a little bit long here, but we had two outstanding interviews that really you know, made this show unique. I thought gave some terrific insight on both Kentucky and Tennessee spring camp underway across the SEC. You got anything before we hop off here? Yeah, buddy, I got some reviews. Uh-oh. Well, first off, I really appreciate everybody taking the time to hang out with us. Uh, man, spring practice is cranking up. I love it. Football is in the air. And uh, if you got yourselves an, an iPhone or Apple product, if you could jump on there and give us a five-star rating, it really does help us out, Mike. It really it really, it really, helps the show. You know, we don't ask much. Just, just that, little, that little bit right there, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, with every five-star review, we'd like to read them. So that's what I'm going to do now. The first one comes from Dirty CMD. All right. he's uh, MD's a doctor <laughs> dealing with the coronavirus. <laughs> hey, buddy. Five star. The best part of this podcast is when is what you won't get. You won't get a pompous, insufferable Gump Bama fan <laughs> host pretending to be unbiased and failing spectacularly at being funny. You won't get a bunch of pretentious West Coast and New England experts who spend more time talking about K-Bowls. Is that how you say that? A-C-A-I? I, I, I don't, we don't talk about them. We don't even know what yeah, they're we don't even talk about them. <laughs> Hell no, we don't. And juice cleanses at actually SEC football. You won't get a group of weirdo Florida band geeks Asking what would happen if Thanos was a coach of Arkansas. Oh, people talk about that. And if Tua's ankle could be fixed with a bite from a radioactive spider. You just get two guys cracking some cold ones and talking SEC football. Thank you. Well, Dirty CMD, that's exactly what you're going to get. SEC football, and that's it. Of course, a little beer, a little humor doesn't hurt either. But I appreciate you and the five-star review. Yeah, appreciate that one, Dirty. Um, I don't know who you're calling out there, but we're glad we're not them. All right, this one uh, comes from TXAGDOC. Fantastic pod. Five star. The back and forth between these guys is humorous and insightful. But y'all got to lay off Jimbo some. So far, he's done a great job building for the future. Judge him halfway through this upcoming season. Sincerely, Texas guy stuck in Alabama. Well, Texas guy stuck in Alabama, I think I'm going to agree with that. I think I did give him a little a little too hard of time at the in the offseason. Um, I want to see what – I think this is the year, Mike, right? Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to – I don't want to go too far out on a ledge here, but you know that the West, I've because of my comments here on Alabama, you know, mm-hmm. I I don't think they're far and away the team to beat out there. 
I think LSU is going to be really good again, but I've I've hammered home they've got some some losses there that may be too much to overcome. I mean, this may be the damn year where the Aggies reach the SEC championship, and I don't think that's that bold of a statement. Yeah, but as soon as Jimbo drops one, you better you better mute the mic, Mike, because <laughs> I am going to bury him then. Because he can't have that. You know what I'm saying? This is the year that if you want to, you got to compete with the best. You got to compete with the dogs. It's time. All right. Next one Rocky Top in zero. Well, first off, like I said, Texas guy stuck in Alabama. I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate that one. Rocky Top in zero three. A ton of fun. Five star. If you're a fan of any SEC team, you need to take the time and listen to Mike and Shane. Not only do they bring great commentary on what's going on around the league, but also have some fun doing it. Keep up the awesome work and go Vols. Well, Rocky Top in 03, I appreciate you. Yeah, I uh, hope you appreciated this uh, Tennessee breakdown on this one. Oh, this one I've been dreading, Mike. This one comes from Joe Gator. Five stars. Five stars. You guys are funny and are also entertaining. This Gator fan loves hearing your take on the Gators. I love it, and it always brings a smile to my face when I hear that Cousin Shane is afraid of what Mullen is doing with the Gators. The last reviewer mentioned Vandy got five of eight, so I figured let me express how much I love the UF has 14 of the last 15 over the Vols. (laughs) Come on, Cousin Shane. Give me a go, Gators. <laughs> Joe Gator. <laughs> oh, you bastard. I appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, if anyone needed further evidence that we really do read these on air, there you there you have it. I just uh, Now we just got to wait for some Alabama fans to, to follow that lead. You know what? Absolutely. Boy, they're going to be fired up at you, Mike. <laughs> all right. So, uh... I don't know, Mike. That's all I got, man. I appreciate everybody hanging out with us. This was a long one, double feature film. Uh, we're going to have some more action next week. Try to, uh, I think Mike's trying to line up a few more interviews for us. Yep, I'm uh, burning the candles at both ends here, getting this show, trying to make it uh, as informative and fun as possible. So really hope you guys appreciate all these guests we got uh, on the show here in recent episodes. Hope to continue that because we got a lot more sec action to break down in the coming days a lot of camps still you know yet to really get heated and underway so look forward to that in the coming days hopefully uh hopefully we'll bring you some more sec football content and uh we're not talking about any shit bowls or whatever that guy was talking about (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna have to google that one all right Shay. so that's gonna do it on this one thanks for joining me as always thank you everyone for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one all right see you guys go balls